the next few Sundays as we are marching toward the celebration of the birth of Christ. And uh, I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart, you know, the subject of grace. And so uh, it's an inexhaustible subject. You cannot cover it in a lifetime. Fact is, the scripture says that it is so large and so amazing that when we are finished with our itinerary here on earth and we join in the rulership and the kingdom, uh, you know, as it is, uh, uh, becomes more fully manifested, it says that in the ages to come, God would continue to unfold the wonders of that grace. So, uh, I do will not pretend to be able to cover all the bases or, uh, you know, explain it all because I think to explain grace, you'd have to be able to explain God. And, you know, it, it is, we hit insights, but, you know what I mean, there is still more, still more. Hebrews chapter 11 begins with, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And I was thinking about how important evidence is. Evidence is important in virtually every function and avenue of life. It's very important to your faith. Evidence. You've heard the phrase, beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> and then, of course, we know that there's a level where there's no doubt at all. And so I hope, my prayer is that you will recognize some evidence. That your faith will be inspired. That the, um, the challenges would be, not be challenges, but opportunities for your faith. And so I've titled the first series of this message, and I don't know how far we'll get in this particular uh, one, but the economy of grace. The economy of grace, or the life work of grace. How grace is poured out and has within itself the power to, to change. And uh, so I want to read Ephesians, if it would, Andy. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Our flagpole is always Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in Christ. 
love. Having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I love the fact that with God there is divine arrangement. Divine arrangement. To the praise of the glory of his, everybody say it. Grace. Grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his. Everybody say it. Grace. Which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. Hallelujah. Spiritual blessing literally means that God has spoken. He has spoken good things about you. He has pronounced good things for your benefit. That's what spiritual blessing is. A pronouncement of God. He has chosen. This is all by His grace. He has given us full status as children. He makes us perfectly accepted. There's no reservations. He has bought our freedom. And He Gives us wisdom and insight. Think about it. Grace is is a term so loaded with meaning and importance that a simple definition just does not suffice. Really, grace is the language of God. It's what God speaks. Yes, grace. I hope today that, and in this series, that we will inform your mind, but also inspire your heart. Grace could be referred to as the active presence of God at work. My. The Apostle Paul, he concluded about life that everything good he had, everything that he accomplished, and everything that he did was all a work of grace. All a work of grace. 
that it was grace that was enabling him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for his argument, he says this. For who makes you differ from one another? You're unique. The answer of this is God's grace. And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? His audience, of course, is the Corinthians, and they had gotten quite puffed up in themselves. The things that they were doing, the things that they'd done, and, you know, competition had set in, and, you know, and uh, little attitudes of big attitudes, I guess. Uh, pride had, you know, caused an unequal platform, elevation. Paul says, really? Don't you know that you're functioning because of the divine goodness and favor and gift that he's placed into your, your life? Yeah. That <laughs> so he kind of shoots down the the eye in us and tries to replace it with the grace in us. The Apostle Paul says, you know, it is evident, you know, that some of us work very hard. And he said about himself, he said, I, I labored more abundantly than than all, but yet not I... It was the grace of God which was in me. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> what makes us more diligent? It's his grace. Somehow there's been an inspiration of God in your life. You didn't sit down and, you know, come up with the idea. You might have sat down, but God came up with the idea. Amen? Hallelujah. Grace. Grace is not only past experience of pardon. It is the future experience of power. It is a continuum it's not a single act that happens in your life. It's active and continued and constant. Grace is. It's the axis. The unmerited favor, yes, but it's also a divine power. It's a divine plan. It's a holy inspiration. a power that caused the Apostle Paul to receive the fact when God said my grace is sufficient for you.
Yes. The beauty of grace, the wonder of grace is you need grace for today's obedience just as you need gas in your car for today's journey. That's right, church. His divine arrangement, his divine enablement. Apostle Paul talks about some people falling short of the grace of God in their life. You know, finding that grace in the pace of life when it's so fast. Yet he says that he's made a deposit in us all along. In Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about how we need to come to the throne of grace to receive grace. Grace for the day. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find grace in the time of need. In other words, God has made it available. It was Peter. Second Peter says, we need to grow in grace. Grace is not to be stagnant in our life. It's not one measure now of yesterday. Now there's grace for the new day. And he's got a throne of grace. Of course, the throne, again, can speak of something of power and of rulership, triumph, government. The wonder of grace is that it's just not a ticket to some spiritual Hawaii. A spiritual sun or surfing palm trees and tropical breezes to enjoy. Though it all may have some element of that, it's about abounding. It's about abounding in the Spiritual fruit. It's about abounding in good works. It's about abounding in obedience. Fact of the matter that when you live by grace, you're not lazy. Because it doesn't produce laziness. It doesn't produce inactivity. It doesn't produce an in a do nothing life. Oh. When the book of Acts is opened up and we see the activity of the church and it talks about how that great grace was upon them. Man, that was a moving church. All because grace is more than a spiritual Hawaii. Thank you, Lord. Great grace. To identify the grace in your lives and to project the grace that is already in your life. Just quickly some framework of grace. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection, weakness, failure, and sin. It's the face that... 
love wears. It's the quality in the heart of God that causes him not to deal with us according to our sins or retaliate against us according to our iniquities. You'd all and we'd all be in trouble. Grace is the quality of a God that causes him to be faithful even when we're not faithful. Oh, I love him. Grace is what what love does when it meets the unlovely, meets the weak, the inadequate, and the undeserving, undeserving. His grace is how God responds in kindness to need without reference to your merit. Grace does not accept our good part and reject our bad parts. Grace makes wholeness of all the parts. Yeah. Grace fixes what's been dislocated. It restores what's been lost. And it repairs the brokenness and it empowers the weakness. You live by grace. Even if we don't recognize it. We live by his by his grace. Grace is freedom from hiding. You don't have to hide. You can live in a unashamed, you know, state of confidence and assurance of the the posture and the 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 thinking of God toward you. Thank God for the cross. Because we don't have to live in being ashamed. Adam and Eve had to hide themselves until God went ahead and provided, you know, the clothing for them. And then they could come out of hiding. And and that's what the cross does. That's what Jesus does. That's what grace does. It's got you covered. Somebody give a Lord a praise this morning. It's got you covered. Oh... The person next to you may see it, may be critical about it, but you might have to live with them, but you don't have to deal with them. <laughs> God is, has the final say of everything. And that's not, that's not, you know, getting careless. It's not, don't hide. Remember the Samaritan woman? In John chapter 4, as as, uh, she comes to gather water at noon, that is not the time that you gather water. The normal time for gathering water was in the morning. 
but she was ashamed. Her life had made her feel, you know what I mean? I don't dare go there because I will be the talk of what is the town. I can't stand the look. I can't stand the whispers. And so I'll go there when nobody else is there. Jesus wanted to get her out of hiding. See, with, with grace, you can come clean. Yeah, you don't have a husband. <laughs> You've had five of them. <laughs> and she comes clean. She starts a revival because she comes out of hiding. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. My life was not perfect. In fact, it was my life, and she goes through the details of her life. But yet I met somebody. And so he says in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. You can come to water in the morning. When everybody else gathers for it, the right time for getting water, you can come because with grace there's no need to hide because of shame. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. Any righteousness that we have and any righteousness that we, that we do, which we do do afterwards, is all because of grace we met. Where is boasting? If everything you got is a gift... It's not boasting, it should just be praise. <laughs> should be thanksgiving. Brings you out of hiding. You miss grace, and when you miss grace, you surround your soul and life with guilt. Your heart takes on a heaviness. Your life gets out of sync. Because grace is not just something about forgiveness. Grace is also about bringing healing. He did not just forgive her sins. All of a sudden, he went through conversation and revelation. And, you know, and by the way, do you know who that was sitting on that well? Grace. It was. Titus says this the grace of God hath a, appeared. 
That's a message for a different day. Grace. God gives us an invitation. The story of the prodigal son is a great story of grace. He came to himself and he became truthful, just as a Samaritan woman became truthful. You can be truthful in God's presence. You can be truthful in grace's presence. And of course, we have the elder brother who's angry at grace. And he literally chastises his father for giving grace. Why? Because he didn't understand grace. He didn't realize that he was living in the abundance of grace in his father's house. He didn't recognize it. See, the father said, all that I've got is yours. Imagine to have a house full of everything the father has in never really recognizing it or tapping into it and rejoicing in it and always seeing the labor of life and not the grace of life. Somebody give the Lord a praise. (laughs) We're always seeing the labor of life and not the grace of life, and we need to see the grace of life. Yes. So we escape that arena. What happens when we miss grace Our joy comes from personal performance and not what he has done. Our affections are pulled out by contribution and not grace or gratefulness. It's just merely the cart before the horse or the horse before the cart. They're there. It's just the order of them. And so the elder brother was saying, you know, because of what you did and because of how you behaved and how you wasted things, you don't deserve grace. And I'm not about to celebrate the grace that's in your life. But grace still loves no matter what. Now, there are times that I have to go to the throne of grace to be able to love no matter what. (laughs) I do. Yeah. I got to go there and say, no, Lord, this this attitude is wrong. You know, it it hasn't really taken over me, but I I can feel it working. What have you got that you didn't receive? That's not a gift to you. 
Paul said, you know, God forbid that I should glory or boast in anything but what? Grace. One day forced by the opinions of men, he write a whole chapter on, you know what I mean? If we want to just measure up naturally, you know, I'll take you on. But let's get out of the, you know what I mean? And he goes and says who he was and what he's done and you know what I mean? And, and how he lines up with, with all of the, the, the promises and, you know, he's in the right family and he has the right everything, you know? He said, you forced me to do it, but that's not what I, bottom line, what I'll do is I'm just going to thank God. Can I say something? Your conversion is no better than the other person's conversion. Not have, you might have had a, a road, you know what I mean, to Emmaus experience or, you know. Or you might have just had it in the quiet of your own bedroom. That's not a put down. That's, that's you know, your experience was brought by the grace of God. In a grace that gets measured, you know what I mean, in which, you know, is in a capacity, you know what I mean, to touch your life. My father had to have dimensions of grace come to his life in order to convince him totally different than what I had to have in my life. But God moves grace at levels and dimensions and spectrums that, that work for the individual. When you miss grace, you'll have a tendency to talk about how many years you've served him more than the other guy. Now, it... To have a testimony of lengthy service, praise the Lord. But to make yourself look better than the other guy, that's not grace. That's what the elder brother did. He said, for so many years I've served you. When you miss grace, you're really a poor accountant. You keep track of what you've done, and you miss what God's done. Somebody give a Lord a praise. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm excited, church, because you know what I mean? I want grace to work in my life. Yes. yes. Without grace, it causes us to obsess over what God gives someone else and forget everything that God has done for me. There's an element 
that triggers grace into your life. We'll look at a number of them, but let's start with humility. Humility. Peter talks about getting grace into your life. How do you get grace into your life? One of them is humility. Because he, be clothed with the humility because he gives grace to the humble. Some of humility doesn't feel like they deserve the good things that happen in, in their life. Picture of of grace in the life of an individual is in the story of Abigail and the ball. You remember the story in First Samuel verse twenty five. He is a very rich man in the, in the area. And yet, some of his riches are retained because David has been protecting his sheep and his cattle. And the basic customary thing was that, that the who was protecting them, then they would, they would you know, send someone to you and then you would give them an appreciation gift. So David, you know, the end of the harvest and his harvest has went, not David's harvest, but uh, Nabal's harvest had went well. He sends one of his servants to go see what kind of gift that he would give. And now he's a, he's a, he's not a good guy. He's harsh, he's rough, he's, you know, unkind, everything about him. And so when they comes, he just kind of, you know, is repulsed by the request. So, they return the, the, the story to David, and so David arms 400 of his men. He has 600 men. 200 of them he leaves behind, 400 of them he arms them and he sends them and he's going to kill this guy. Anger is in his heart. Justification is there and, you know, this guy's going to lose his life. His wife, Abigail, hears about it. Hears about it from one of the servants. You know what's going to happen? This is... What's taking place? David is on his way. Now she knows her husband and she might want to have killed him a few times herself. I don't know. <laughs> but she intervenes. And think about it for a moment. Normalcy was ripped out of her life. The scripture says she was planning and she was preparing and then she gets a message. Your husband's going to be murdered. <coughs> Disaster is hanging over household. And, but she goes ahead and 
doesn't take a victim posture. She chooses grace. She goes and bows before David, who's coming to kill her husband. Yes. She takes the blame as she is endeavoring to spare her husband, she takes the blame. You read it. She said, oh my Lord, place it on me. I take the blame. I'll I'll bear the brunt of it. And she actually says, you know, He's crazy. <laughs> he doesn't get it. He doesn't know. So, but, but don't hold it against him. See that? She not only saves the life of her husband. Because she doesn't just take the blame, she brings all kinds of gifts. I. It disarms David. The anger. The killer in him. All of a sudden, this tempered. Stops him in his tracks. See, grace will always give you the upper hand. For he exalts the humble. Right? It always... See, what does humility do? It positions you for grace. A measure that's needed at the time. And it gives her the upper hand because that's what grace does. Because church... You can't lift up the banner of victim and victory at the same time. You will either lift up the banner of victim or you will lift up the banner of victory. And grace is alongside of you saying you can lift up the banner of victory because grace always comes out ahead. Grace. What time is it? You guys just really got me up early today. I might run out of notes. <laughs> oh, I want to do this right. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15. I'll go to this a little later, but right here, it says that we need to be a cheerleader with regarding to the grace in other people's lives. 
looking diligently lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. He's really saying you need to be a cheerleader, you know, when someone is struggling with the application and the appropriation of grace. To, to encourage them, to inspire them, so that they don't fall short of the grace of grace of God. How would you fall short of the grace of God? If you were in debt. And someone wrote a check or gave you the money for that debt. And yet you did not use that money for the debt. You would have fallen short of the reason for the gift. God, you know... Gives grace, which is gifts, okay, for the need, for the debt, for reason. And so you come along and you help people to be able to appropriate a grace in their, their life. Paul learned to appropriate grace. Three times he asked to be delivered. And his answer was no. But then he was given grace. So he moved from, I can't get the grace of deliverance but I can get the grace of endurance. The application. Grace. Because there's what is known as the law of grace. It is what is given in the time or the need of the hour. Sometimes you need the grace of patience. Other times you need the grace of energy. Have you ever heard the phrase that someone's going through a situation, particularly in death, I don't know how I could handle that. And yet you see them handling that time in their life. You know there's grace for death? And if you're not facing death, you don't need grace for death. You need grace for living. Grace always shows up at the right time in the right place, but we don't always identify it. Amen? Yeah. 
I hope you can see that because it's very important, you know? When tomorrow brings a need, it will bring new graces with it. As your day is, so shall your strength be. Until you get to the is, you don't need the strength of that day. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I, I believe that we can fill up on grace. Hebrews 4.16, come boldly that you might receive grace. Romans 15 and 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. That's grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. In that passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, you know, the order is set. They were going to give. And he was saying, I don't want you to worry about, you know, that you think the giving is going to deplete it because grace is going to show up and give you a supply. Let me give you a personal, personal uh, experience in my life. And I've been preaching for quite a long time. And for a lot of those years, you know what I mean, I used to fret and frustrate and worry and you know I mean you know just like oh God oh God oh God you know I need the anointing Lord I need the grace for this you know what I mean and it was 10 hours before I was going to preach and eventually as he matured me and brought me along you know what I mean He just kind of let me rest in the promise of my grace is going to be there. So that, you know what I mean? Now I had to do, I had to use grace to do my preparation. I had grace to do, you know, uh, stay in the communion and all that type of thing. But I didn't need preaching grace until I got up to preach. Anybody understanding what I'm saying? See? Preaching grace when you when you get there. That's what grace does, and that's what he's talking about in our lives. You know what I mean? Grace is active. Grace is gonna show up. So the law of grace is just that. It is that it's given in the need of the hour. Amen. Uh, Let's see here. 
I started out by, and I'll close with this this morning, is giving grace. Giving grace. It is getting your second wind, so to speak. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down on the feeble knees. In verse 15 it says, Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Now we'll try to break that down here. He's saying that the first thing that begins to happen and show weakness is your hands and your knees. And if you ever watch a player, when they are getting tired, their hands start to drop. When they're becoming extremely exhausted, their knees become unstable. And so as he's saying, as you, you want to watch this. You want to watch it in the life of others to be a help, to, to give grace. Because it's the first indicator that they're getting tired. Strengthen them. How are you doing? How are you doing? And then he says, you need to make straight paths for your feet. What's he saying? He said, you need to stay in your lane. When you're, when you're in a race, you have a lane. Stay in your lane. Watch how you live. Make straight paths for your feet because he's saying you are not only running, you are leaving tracks. Help them to see that it's worth it. He's talking about we want to encourage the grace in people's lives so they don't fall short of it. And what's he talking about? Falling short. Well, he goes on to say and gives us a picture. He brings into the, the, the framework Jacob and Esau. Try to simply put it. Jacob recognized sacred things. Esau did not recognize sacred things. He says, we got to go around and we got to try to help people recognize the sacred things, the important things, so that they don't fail. So that there's, so, so that, you know, Esau's don't happen. 
church. How many people do you know where bitterness has come in? And it says causes trouble. Literally that means to fall back. They fall back. They fall back. Grace is, uh, is powerful. And there's so many things about grace, but it's also vulnerable when it gets into your life. It's vulnerable. Grace. Ask my musicians to come this morning. I think we should sing that song that we, you, you, I don't know. If you got a different one, that's fine. He said, don't let them become Esau's. Don't let them them become Esau's. If a brother be overtaken of the fault, you who at your spiritual go to the such and one in the spirit of meekness. We're not there to point out their faults we're there to try to encourage the grace that has a deposit in their life already it's got a deposit in their life I remember my life could have taken a totally different direction and not into sin, but into ministry, was it not for a man? He was my pastor. His name was Pastor Robert Martin. And I had... Because of the lack of counsel, I had made a decision in my life and would have taken me down a very legalistic ministry. And during that time, I had, I had <coughs> separated myself. And he said... It's time he let it he let it rest, and then he comes and he says, you know, let's go out. A couple of us are getting together. I want you to come. He never mentioned once with regard to, you know, the error, the mistake. He just loved me and embraced me and accepted me. Just encourage that grace. 
he made a straight path. Made straight path. He left some tracks for, for me to follow, to walk in. Not only him, but then of course my mom and dad and my family. You're leaving tracks. You're leaving tracks. He says, make them straight so that they that are lame are not turned out. That they see that it's worth it. They see that it's worth it. And I thank God for the tracks that those people in my life that have went before me, the tracks that they were left, they showed me that it was worth it. It was straight enough that I could follow. And they gave grace when grace wasn't deserved. Stand with me this morning. strengthen to fall short it is the same word that's used for bishop and elders he's saying take the oversight take the oversight in their life take the oversight huh the oversight and help them. Because grace is not simply saying, this is, when you put it together, it, grace is not simply saying, I will pray for you. Grace actually meets the need. Hallelujah. Oh, it actually meets the need. Grace says, lay it on me. Put it on me. I think that God only is trying to give us, get us to give the grace and the mercy that we've we've been given. Amen. Grace. 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 So this week, maybe there's somebody that God wants to lay on your heart. Or he has laid on your heart and and you look at them and you can see that they're, their hands are 
getting heavy and and their walk is is a little staggering a little it's not solid it's not secure there's times I'll I'll get with people and we we will not probably discuss God or anything but we just love them as people. We just, you know what I mean? We're not trying to, you know, at least they don't know. They don't know that we're trying to persuade them. <laughs> huh? Just trying to let them know that you have value for who you are. And Amen, Father, this morning. As ambassadors of grace, help us to fill up with grace. God, and when our day seems to be overloaded, Help us to start the day at the throne of grace before we start pouring out grace so that we have enough to run right straight through the day. Amen. As you go into life, help people get a second wind get a second wind to run the race and finish the course and you know what I mean and help them to see that it's it's worth it amen God bless you go with God and he's going with you and happy Thanksgiving amen thank God you know for our great country our great land in Jesus name